0: Well, we're continuing in our series, Through the Fruit of the Spirit. Today's topic is patience. Patience. Uh, so far, we've covered love, joy, and peace. And you can safely say that everyone in this world, Christian or not, is pursuing those three things in some way, shape, or form, right? We're all looking for people to love, people to love us back. We're following in love with, like, hobbies, gadgets, experiences, right? And, and so we're, we're, we're all about love in so many different ways. Everyone wants joy in their life, right? We want gladness. We want happiness. We want flourishing, right? We want things to spark joy, right? That made Marie Kondo a millionaire, right? Because joy was such a dominant thing in our culture, Peace. Man, everyone wants peace. We want peace from our stress, from our anxiety. We want peace in our families, peace in our relationships, peace in our own hearts. But when it comes to patience, it's quickly disappearing in our culture. Rather than seeking to grow in patience, to value patience, to cultivate it, our culture seems to be feeding and fueling our impatience, okay? Um, ask yourself this when is the last time a company tried to sell you patience right I mean companies are trying to sell love they're definitely trying to sell joy they're definitely trying to sell peace right but when's the last time a company tried to sell you patience right buy from us and you get to wait longer right Use our service and your phone and internet will be slower, right? No one would go to that company. No one markets this way because it doesn't sell. We are buying in our culture love, joy, and peace. But we're trying to avoid the need for patience. Right? We're avoiding that. Amazon, Netflix, Uber, they are all leading their industries, not because they're slower, but because they're faster, not because they're more inconvenient and require more patience. No, because they are more convenient than all of the other competitors. If suddenly it took you 45 minutes to get a Uber ride, what would you do? We'd open up Lyft, right? And we'd holler at Lyft and say, hey, I'm going to just lift it up. You know? and it's just we do not, we do not value patience. In fact, our culture and our companies thrive off of our impatience. But brothers and sisters, patience is essential for the Christian life. It's essential. A while back, uh, a pastor and author named John Ortberg, um, he called the late Dallas Willard for spiritual direction. He was feeling overwhelmed. He was trying to balance his family life. Right, his personal life, and being a mega church celebrity pastor. And so he was so busy, so overwhelmed, he calls up his mentor for spiritual direction. He asked, what do I do? How can I remain spiritually healthy? Dallas paused, and he said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. John listened to that. He replied, he says, okay, I've written that down. Dallas, that's a good one. That's a real good one. What else you got for me? What else you got for me? Again, Dallas replied, there's nothing else. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. For hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our world today. Hurry is the great enemy of growing in spiritual health, growing in our relationship with Christ Brothers and sisters, does hurry describe your life today? Is your schedule filled with busyness to the point where it does cause stress and anxiety and even exhaustion? In the midst of that busy schedule, in the midst of that overload, is your heart prone to impatience? Do you find yourself being impatient with people? Impatient with your career, with your academics? Even impatient with God? Have you looked at God recently? Have you talked to him and said, God, what are you doing in my life? Why aren't you showing up? Why aren't you providing? God, you're off schedule. This is not what we talked about. But you see, friends, you can't get to where God wants to take you if you're not willing to be patient. You can't become the kind of person God wants you to become without patience. You cannot cultivate meaningful relationships without patience, right? I mean, ask any parent here, can you raise your kids without patience? No way, right? No way, unless you're just going to spank them all the time and then they're going to be bitter and hate you anyways, right? Parenting takes so much patience. A healthy marriage requires so much patience. You cannot cultivate meaningful relationships without patience. You cannot endure Through this life that is full of heartache, full of adversity, full of surprise, without patience. We're going to look at a number of passages today, and the first is James chapter 5, verses 7 to 11. Would you turn there with me? James chapter 5, verses 7 to 11. It's also going to go up on the screen, and I'm going to be reading from the ESV. May God bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Amen. The word of the Lord. As we work through this text and several others, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at three things. First, we're going to look at what patience is. Second, when do we need it? And thirdly, how do we grow in it? Okay, so what is patience? When in your life do you need it? And finally, how do you grow in it? In verse 7, James, the author, he calls his church to be patient until the coming of the Lord. James, who was James? He was the brother of Jesus and he was the leader of the Jerusalem church, okay? He was the leader of the Jerusalem church, and if you read through the leader, uh, letter, sorry, letter, you'll see that the, the, the church in Jerusalem was experiencing both persecution and poverty. They were experiencing deep poverty, because as Christians, they were being blacklisted. They were kind of being alienated by the Jewish community. The Jews thought, man, you guys are heretics. You guys have turned against our God. We're not going to have fellowship with you. We're not going to uh, employ you. We're not going to give you business. So the Christians in Jerusalem were poor. So poor to the point where Paul, who was going out and planting churches all throughout uh, the Mediterranean, he was raising funds to help the saints in Jerusalem. The Philippians gave to that cause. Just imagine that. You know, the Jerusalem church, that's where it all started. That's where the missionaries started. And they went out and planted churches. And then the church in Jerusalem was under so much persecution and poverty that those church plants had to turn back and support the mother church. That was what was going on. And in the midst of this persecution and poverty, James calls the church to godly patience. Be patient. Now the word that James uses for patience in the Greek, it's makrothumeo. Makrothumeo. And what that literally means is long anger. Macro means long. Thumeo means anger. Now um that doesn't mean, obviously, that you're angry for a long time. Some of you here, you're like, dude, I got that. I can hold a grudge forever, right? I can be angry at my husband forever until he totally relent. No, that, that's not macro What What it actually means, the, the King James has a great and beautiful translation. It translates this word as long-suffering. Long-suffering. What it means is that you are the kind of person, when you have the patience of God in you, it takes you a long time to get angry. It takes a lot for you to lash out and lose your cool. That's what patience is. It means that you are long-suffering. You are slow to anger. You're not easily triggered. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13? Love is patient. Love is patient. It's not easily angered. Now, does this describe you? Does this describe you? Are you the kind of person who is long-suffering with people, who is long-suffering in the midst of difficult circumstances, or do you have a short fuse? It just takes a little bit for you to get angry, for you to want to curse, for you to want to just retaliate. Right? Maybe you're just passive-aggressive and you're like, oh my gosh, I was so unhappy at that server at the restaurant. One-star Yelp review. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shred them. Right? It only takes a little bit. And you're ready to jump on that smartphone. Can you tolerate honest mistakes at work? Or do you blow up at your employees? Can you tolerate honest mistakes at home, whether it's your spouse or your children? Or do you blow up at them? Are you quick to yell, quick to fight, quick to scream? Are you the kind of person who gets frustrated with long lines at the grocery store, slow cashiers? Right? I have to confess, when I see slow cashiers, I'm like so, right? I almost want to jump behind the cashier and do the work for them. But, oh, my God, you were taking so long, right? We're so impatient. Maybe you're the kind of person who are like, I, I will try to help you, but if you don't start changing, if you don't produce results, I'm out. Right, There are many of us who have been invited to come alongside and walk with people in need And we experience frustration, we experience friction and disappointment, and we quit. We tap out. If you've ever tried to teach someone something, whether it's like golf or like, you know, golf, (laughs) that's the only thing I can think of. Um, I tried to teach my wife golf a little bit, and uh, we ended up fighting. And so after like 30 minutes, I was like, never again. Right. So if she ever wants to pick up golf, I can't be her coach. I lack patience. Right. I need to pay someone to teach her how to enjoy the game of golf with me. But we do that. We quit. Like I'm, I'm trying to help you, but you keep relapsing into bad habits. I'm trying to coach you. I'm trying to mentor you, but you don't even meet up. You don't even text. You just bail and flake, and I quit. I'm out. Well, James calls us to patience. He calls us to patience. In our passage, James uses the metaphor of a farmer. He says in verse 7, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Let me help you understand what James's point is. Let me give you a little background. For the Palestinian farmer, there were two rainy seasons, okay, two seasons of rain. Just how, like we in California, we have El Nino, right, and the rains come in November, and they come till February, right? That's the rainy season for Palestine. The early rains ran from October to November. I know that's a little backward for us, but different calendar, just respect the cultural difference. Right? Early rains were from October to November, and then the late rains ran from March to April. Okay? The early rains, when they came, okay, that was the green light to plant your crops. Palestine is like Lancaster. Palestine was like Riverside, dry, hot, and desert-like. Okay? You can't just plant You can't just plant things in the desert, in the hard soil. You need it to be moisture, uh, wet from the rain. Sorry, awkward language. Um, You need the rains to come to prepare the soil for the seeds, right? So the early rains was a green light. Farmers, plant your crops. And then over the winter season, the beginning of the year, the crops would start to grow. But when the late rains came from March to April, that really allowed the crops to bloom to really flourish, to really be healthy. And so after the late rains in April, in May, that's when the farmers would harvest the grain. That's when they would harvest the wheat. But here's the thing. You can't control the rain. We can't today. They couldn't 2,000 years ago. And so with that difficult climate, with the uncertainty at times with rain, and we have this even in Southern California. There's years where there's tons of rain, other years of drought. And we're just subject to the mercy, right, mercy of the weather. The farmers had to wait. They had to wait for the rains to come and give life to the crops. But what happened if the rains didn't come? What happens if the late rain didn't come in the spring to really allow the harvest to bloom? Well, the farmer would say, maybe I need to cut my losses. Maybe I can't wait for the crops. I can't wait for the rain. I'm just going to see what's grown, take what's out there, harvest it, and sell it, and eat it because I need it. Right? There's that impatience that some of the farmers had. Only if you were patient, only if you were willing to wait, would you get the full harvest. This is what James is talking about. Think of the farmers. Think of the rains. They were patient. They have to be patient. So, too, you and I. We're called to patience. Just like the farmer can't control the rain, we can't control our circumstances. We cannot. We can't control what people say or what they do. We can't control what happens to us at work or at school or in our families. But what we are called to do is respond to circumstances, respond to difficult people, respond to situations in patience. You're either gonna do that in, you're either gonna do that in anger or you'll respond in patience. You'll either respond in haste or with patience. Bitterness or patience. David Pallison, uh, the late David Powison, uh wrote extensively on biblical counseling and the heart. And in a sermon on patience, this is what he said. Built into the idea of patience is unpleasantness. Built into the practice of patience is the fact that something is wrong. Some kind of hardship or struggle exists, and that's why we have to be patient. Friends, this is why I appreciate the Christian worldview and what godly biblical patience is. Because all our culture does is say, hey, you know what? If that's a difficult circumstance, if that's a difficult person, don't let it get to you, right? Don't let it get to you. Don't think about it too much. Don't obsess over it. Right? Try to avoid that person. Try to avoid those kinds of circumstances. That's what this culture has to offer in terms of conflict, in terms of unpleasantness, hardship. It's avoidance. It's flight. Or you have to fight. Right? You have to overcome that person. You have to fix that person. You have to correct that wrong. What biblical patience does is say, don't look away. Don't avoid. Look right at it. Look right at the situation. Look right at the person. Look right at the struggle and respond. Respond with patience. Why do we need it? What does this look like? Jerry Bridges in his book, The Fruitful Life, he identifies four instances when we need godly patience, okay? Uh, The first is to tolerate shortcomings, Okay, to tolerate shortcomings. They're going to actually escalate from the lightest ones to the more grave, serious ones. To tolerate shortcomings. So these are surface-level triggers. Okay? Things that just trigger you and bother you and annoy you. Okay? Things like when your friends are late. Anyone hate late people? Right? When traffic is unexpected. Right? You're like, I, I, I mean, I expect traffic from 4 to 7, but it is noon and I'm in a parking lot. On the 101, 101 is always about traffic, so just expect that, right? Or when you have to work on a PC because a memory card isn't formatted for a Mac. What y'all never have that happen to you? That happened to me this week. I'm a Mac guy. I haven't owned a PC since college in 2000, and uh, I had to look at a memory card and pull some video, and it was formatted for a PC, and I just didn't know what to do, and I was losing my mind. Right? My staff thought I was going to have an aneurysm. I had to confess my sin of anger. I was like, looking at the computer, I was like, what is going on with this PC? Lo and behold, I have to preach on patience. And I was like, oh, I lost it already. Right? But most importantly, patience is required in the body of Christ when there's a disagreement or a misunderstanding. Not necessarily a sin issue. But when there is conflict, when there is disagreement, Christians are called to demonstrate patience. To tolerate the shortcomings of one another. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Ephesians 4, 1-3. This is what he says. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond God of peace. What a powerful and relevant passage for us. We've all heard that phrase in the church, right? To live a life worthy of the gospel, to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And when we think about that phrase, what image pops into your head? We think, man, I need to do something of great Christian courage. Maybe I need a Go on missions. Maybe I need to become a full-time missionary. Maybe I need to go to seminary. Maybe I need to give some radical sacrificial gift to the church or to someone less fortunate. Something crazy and big. But what Paul says, you want to live a life worthy of the gospel? You want to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received in Jesus Christ? Be humble. Be gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. That's what the gospel commends us to. That's what it looks like. To live out the gospel of Jesus Christ in relationship. People around us, we fall short. They will let us down. They'll disappoint us. They'll come late. Your small group members won't show up. You'll ask a question no one will answer. And you're like, oh my gosh, why am I even doing this? Bear with one another in love. And we see the end game. We see the purpose. Why must we be patient? Why must we be humble? Why should we be gentle towards one another? Verse 3, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is the church, friends. We are all different. We have different opinions, different passions, different wirings. How can we have unity? It's not through uniformity. I can't brainwash you guys. I can't make you guys think exactly the same thing when we have members votes. I want there to be 100% vote all the way, but we've never gotten that, okay? We didn't get it for the gym. We don't get it for the budget. I don't expect everyone to agree on every little thing, but God expects our church to be united. How does that happen? Patience, humility, gentleness. We bear with one another. I mean, you can look at this gym and be like, oh, this was a nice renovation project, but I don't like that wood. I don't like the paint. Why are they using this color? Pastor Michael looks sick, right? Whatever it might be. There could be all of these little things that you disagree with and you don't like about the church. You'd be like, Why are we doing community groups? They should be small groups. Why are they mixed gender? They should just be, you know, there's all of these opinions that we might have, and yet God calls us to be united as one. The way we do that is through patience. The way we do that is by bearing with one another in love. There will be people that you naturally don't get along here, uh, along with here at All Nations, right? I mean, you've probably met people like that. I mean, if I think right now, who do you not kind of like at our church? Boom, names, right? Don't say in though. That's like, don't put it out there, right? You're just like, it's not like they've done anything wrong against me. They haven't sinned. They haven't hurt me. I just, we talk and no connection, Right? We hang out and nothing, right? I'm just, yeah. God in his sense of humor, he might put you in the same community group with that person. Same community group with that family. What are you gonna do? You're gonna say, you know what? I'm gonna go to La Crescenta group number two, right? Or I know there's a Stevenson's ranch group, but I'm gonna bail and go to Santa Clarita, right? That's flight. That's flight. What God calls us to is bearing with one another in love. To be patient with one another and their shortcomings in our differences, even when decisions, even when style, even when preferences are different, because of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ, while, who, while we were yet sinners, died for us, we are called to demonstrate patience and grace towards each other. The second kind of instance when we need to practice patience is when we need to respond to provocation. Responding to provocation. You see, it's more difficult than just shortcomings. This happens when people around us hurt us, when they upset us, when they sin against us. And in those moments, if you have power, you are tempted to retaliate. If you have ability, ability, right, ability uh, to be wrathful you will classic example is when a parent disciplines their child out of anger not out of love your kid just makes you so angry what do you do time out forever right lock you in the closet or spank you old school whatever might be and it's not because of love you want to build up their character you're so angry The kids are fighting again. You talk back to me. You cussed at mom. What? And then you just go crazy and you go berserk. But you do that because you have power. You have the ability to be wrathful, right, and domineer over them. Same thing happens with a boss. You can be frustrated at your subordinates, frustrated at your employees, They messed up again. They won't listen to anything I have to say. And rather than coach them up, rather than demonstrate some kind of patience, mentoring, or guidance, you just give them the worst tongue-lashing possible. Make them think that they're going to lose their jobs because you're so angry. That'll teach them. That'll put them in line. But more personally, when we experience provocation, when our anger is provoked, what do you do when people have hurt you, gossiped about you, Hurt someone you love? Don't you want revenge? Don't you want justice? Don't you want to hurt them back and get even? And in those moments, we're so tempted to to take things into our own hands. Say, I know the Bible says vindication is the Lord, vengeance is mine, I will repay. But you say, God, I will not wait that long. I want it now. I want it now. I want to see them suffer and see them understand how angry and how hurt I am. In those moments, friends, we must remember the patience of God. We must remember the patience of God. Uh, if you remember the story of Exodus and the golden calf, right? Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. And as he's communing with the Lord, he comes down and he, lo and behold, he sees Israel worshiping a golden calf. They're in idolatry, and Moses is so angry with Israel. Moses had a bit of an anger problem, right? Um, He needed the sermon. Um, Moses, so angry, he takes the tablets of God, and he throws them down, and he breaks them, and he curses at Israel for their idolatry. God's about to destroy Israel. He even says, you know what, Moses, it's you and me. I'm going to destroy all of these idolatrous Israelites, and we're going to start a new people together. And Moses kind of comes to a sense. He's like, oh, God, God, you can't do that, right? I mean, what was the whole exodus out of Egypt thing for if all you did was bring them into the wilderness to destroy them? Moses goes up back up to Mount Sinai, and he meets with the Lord. He prays, he intercedes. God finally says, okay, you know what? I, I, I will. I will be their God. They will be my people. And after this amazing conversation of redemption, Moses says, God, can I ask one more thing? Would you show me your glory? Show me your glory. And you would think like God would say, yeah, beaming light chest. And like Moses would be, oh, right? God says, okay. He says, Moses, is what you have to do. You have to go into a, a cleft in a rock, into a big crack, right? Don't look at my face because if you do, you're going to die. You can look at my backside. I'm going to pass by. And as I pass, I'm going to show you my glory. And You know what God's glory was? It's who He was. God was describing himself to Moses, his heart, his majesty, his attributes, and this was his glory. Exodus 34, 6, we read, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is who I am. This is my glory. God is patient. You see, patience isn't just something God commands for us, even though that is true. We are called to be patient. Patience isn't just something God says, hey, hey, look at Job, right? Look at Abraham. Man, you know how many years Abraham had to wait to have a son? Look at Jesus and Paul. Those are your role models of patience. Look at them and do likewise, even though that is true for us as well. Do you know what's beautiful about biblical patience? It's rooted in the heart of God. It's one of his characteristics. It's who he is. God is slow to anger. God is merciful and gracious. God saw the Israelites in full idol worship, and he wasn't triggered. He was slow to anger. He was patient towards his people. You guys know the story of the prodigal son story where this, uh, the youngest son, the youngest of two sons, he goes to his father. He says, Father, give me my inheritance. The thing is, his father wasn't dead. Inheritance is something you're supposed to get after the, 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 the person dies. The father dies. He says, I want it now. father says, okay. Gives it to him. young man leaves the house. And he squanders all of that wealth away. Just living for himself. Living it up in pure hedonism that young man hits rock bottom and he finds himself, he finds himself eating with the pigs. He comes to his senses. He's like, oh my gosh, even the servants in my father's house live better than I do. They eat better than I do. I'm going to return to my father and say, I know I can't return to you as a son. I might as well be a bastard. But can I return to your house as a servant? What does the father do? The father in his love and patience, what, in that whole story, in his patience, he gives him the inheritance. In his patience, he waits for his son. In his patience, when he sees a son coming, he lifts up his robe and he runs towards his son. And he kisses him and he accepts him and he restores him. That is our God. That is who our Father is. Patient with us in the midst of our rebellion. Patient with us in the midst of our idolatry in the midst of all every foolish decision we've made, you know, God saw that and he was like, you shouldn't do that. But if you're going to do what you're going to do, I'm, I'm, I'm still waiting on you. Every evil thought, every sinful desire and lust we've had in our hearts, God has seen and known every single one. And yet he's slow to anger. He's rich in love. He's merciful towards you. And as we are called to know and follow this good and gracious God, we're also called to be like him. You see, if you're here and and you're like, yeah, I do have an anger problem. Yes, my fuse is a little short, but Mike, that's just the way I am. Right? That's just the way I am. I've always been this way. My dad was this way. My grandfather. That's called the curse of the father. Right? The sins of the father. Anyways, um, don't excuse your anger. Don't excuse your impatient temperament with, it's just who I am. Our culture loves to throw around that phrase, you be you. You do you. And we want to be accepted for exactly who we are, and we don't want to change. But brothers and sisters, the scriptures call us not to just be ourselves. It says be imitators of who? God. God. The imitators of God as dearly loved children. This is what it means to be a disciple. Not to just be yourself, but to be like Christ and to follow him. So don't sit here and say, hey, you know what? This is how I've always lived my life. I have standards. This is my mode of operation. I can't change. If that's your heart, maybe you're not a Christian. If that's your posture, you say, I won't change. Maybe you don't know the patience of God. Maybe you don't understand the grace of Jesus. The third instance where we need to demonstrate and practice patience is suffering mistreatment, okay? This third area is when we experience persecution and hardship, but we lack the power to do anything about it, okay? This happens all the time in our lives. It happened all the time throughout the scriptures when the early church was persecuted. They had no power against Rome. They had no power against the Jewish authorities. They were called to patience. When this country affirmed unjust laws for slavery and later for segregation, the black Christian community was called to patience and perseverance. When you and I are mocked and scorned, for identifying as Christians in this world. What are we going to do? Like fight everyone? You want to get into a Twitter war with everyone who hates on Christians, right? There's something we can't do about that. How do we respond? We are called to patience. And the key here is to be able to endure long suffering, to endure mistreatment, to endure persecution and prejudice without growing resentful, without growing bitter, without becoming overwhelmed with anger. Now, patience doesn't mean indifference. It doesn't mean we passively tolerate injustice. No, we should fight for justice, okay? We should try to do good for our neighbors. We should seek for our community, for our nation, for this world, to be filled with the justice and goodness of God. But it does mean, right? Or, uh, and, but it doesn't mean, yeah, uh, we just tolerate it passively, okay? But it does mean in the midst of our suffering, In the midst of mistreatment, we must guard our hearts from bitterness, from resentment, and ultimately hopelessness. Let's return to the James passage because this is really uh, the, the climate that James is writing to the Jerusalem church. In verses 8 to 11, this is what James says. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against each other, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. James calls us to establish your hearts. And what this means is we are called to strengthen and shore up our hearts like the walls of a fortress. Okay, When a fortress is under attack, what do the soldiers inside do? Right, They take everything they can and they buttress the door. They reinforce the walls. They reinforce the doors because the attacks are coming. This is what James says. Establish your hearts. Guard your hearts. Strengthen your hearts because pain, because sorrow, because mistreatment, because trouble is coming. And now here's a question. Where does that strength come from? It's not your grit. It's not your own resolve. It comes from the promise of God. It comes from the promise that God is at hand. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And when God returns, when Jesus returns as, as king, he will vindicate his people. He will stand as final judge over all Friends, do you believe that? That when Christ returns, he will judge the living and the dead and he will wipe every tear from our eye. When he inaugurates in full the kingdom of God, there will be justice, there will be goodness, there will be righteousness that rules our lives and rules the world. Here's a question I need you to honestly wrestle with, Okay, and I can't answer it for you. Does God's promise of eternal justice strengthen you to endure injustice in the world? Does it? When you hear the promise, Jesus is returning. The Lord is at hand, so establish your heart. Does that strengthen you? Or does it go in one ear and out the other? You're like, God, I know, that's good news. Thank you, Jesus, that you're gonna come, but I need help now. You need to change this now. You need to fix this circumstance now. Is that your posture is that your posture? Can you endure suffering? Can you endure injustice? Because you know in the depths of your soul that in the end, God will make all things right. Does that help you? Does that assure you? It assured the prophets. It assured Job. Okay. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Right. Abraham. Isaiah, these men, they spoke the word of God at great cost, at great personal cost, but their reward was in heaven. And they experienced the blessing of God. And friends, I want to tell you that their reward, that blessing of God, that goodness and presence of God was far greater than any earthly form of revenge, any earthly form of vindication and validation. The blessing of God is that much greater far surpassing anything this world can offer, they were blessed to remain steadfast. Will we? The fourth and final area where we need to practice patience, and uh, I I don't say this lightly, I, I believe it's the most difficult area where we need patience is waiting on God. When we are considering and weighing out God's timetable in our lives, this is where we need patience. All of us have things we desire. Each of us has a vision for our lives, a vision for our families, a vision for our children. But what do you do when God's plan and your plan don't line up? What do you do? What do you do when God's schedule for your life and your schedule don't line up? You might be sitting here today and you're like, man, I'm 21 years old and everything that I was hoping to to have, I have none of it. 25, 30, 35. None of the things that you wanted for your life, none of the things that you wanted uh, for your family, those things are absent. And you're looking at God and you're like, God, you are sovereign or you're supposed to be. What is going on? There's a disconnect between God's plan and your plan. In those moments, we are called to be patient. Here's the problem. We're such impatient people, right? Right? So we're, what do we do? We take things into our own hands. We're afraid we're not going to pass a class. You're like, how am I going to get in med school if I fail o right? What do you do? You cheat. You go online. You look for old tests, right, different resources. You go to your frat or your sorority, open up the folder, file, drawer, oh, I need this test, this prof. I'm going to get in there, right? What do you do when you're, you're banking on a promotion, You think you've earned it. You need this so that you can provide the kind of life for your spouse and your children that you want. You're banking on a bonus so the numbers have to look right, but you're afraid you're not going to get it. So what do you do? You fudge your numbers. You trash your competitors. You're willing to step on your other employee teammates all so that you will look better. So you can get what you need. You're willing to cut corners. You take matters into your own hands. Same thing with relationships and your singleness, right? It's one thing to be single at 22. It's another at 32. And you've been waiting. You're like, I know the Bible tells me to be equally yoked. I know the Bible tells me a Christian should, should date and marry non-Christians and the kind of guy or kind of girl that I, that, that, that I should value as, as, as a man of the world, a, a, a woman of virtue and all of these things. But, but Mike, you don't understand. No one will talk to me except for my non-Christian coworker. No one will say yes to a date except for my non-Christian classmate. They're the only ones interested in me, right? I get no action on coffee meets bagel, but I'm popular on Tinder, right? And <laughs> so, thank you. I'm here all night. <laughs> so what do you do? You compromise. You cut corners. You say, maybe, maybe this will be okay. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Brothers and sisters, God has called us to trust in him. And he's called us to wait on him. When we take matters into our own hands, when we actually look at God's plan and his word and his path and his promises and we say, I tried it, but now I'm going to go my own way because I have to. I need it. My family needs it. Everything is banking on this one thing and I just can't do the God thing right now. I'm not going to pray about it. I have to do something. When we act in that way, it's cosmic treason. That is rebellion. Rebellion. That is disobedience, and it happens every day. Every human heart is called to trust in the Lord and lean not on our own understanding. We're called to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To quote David Powelson one last time, he said, just think about this. In every second of human existence, God is offended billions of times. Just think about that. Six billion people in this world. And how many of us are rejecting God and living our own way? Every single one is an offense. Every single one is a rejection of God and yet God does not destroy. He is slow to anger. He is long-suffering. He is patient with us. Though we deserve wrath, he's patient. Why? Because he wants more people to come to the knowledge of who Jesus is And what he offers in grace in the gospel, that is kind. That is patient. But in order for him to to leave that window of opportunity open for sinners, God has to endure billions of insults every second of every day. This is our God. But he's chosen to do us good. He's chosen to show us grace. One final question. See, you might be here and you say, Mike, I, I get it, but I haven't, I haven't gone my own way. I've thought about it. My parents have told me, you know what, just marry anyone. <laughs> but, but I really want to honor the Lord. Here's the thing. I don't think he's coming through. What do you do when you trust in God, but he doesn't come, to th- come through for you? And I think this is a deeper pain. It's a deeper pain, and I want to acknowledge it. Perhaps you've been praying for the salvation of a friend, praying for the salvation of a family member, and you're desperately pleading, God, let my father, let my, 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 my grandfather, my, my mom, let them know Jesus Christ. And they might pass away without ever accepting the gospel probably one of the most painful, dreaded experiences we could ever have. Perhaps you've been praying for the healing of a loved one, but that prayer hasn't been answered yet. Perhaps you've been waiting on God for for marriage, for friendship. You're waiting on God to have children as a married couple. And there have been years and years of trying, of pain, of tears, and heartache. I don't say this lightly. Those are deep disappointments and sorrows. Last week, I read and and I reread an article on the Gospel Coalition by a woman named Barbara Best. Barbara Best. She's 58, and she told her story. She's never been married, and she's childless. But she doesn't have the gift of celibacy. She doesn't have the gift of celibacy. She just was never able to marry. And in this article, she wrote about how painful it was for her to go through menopause in her mid-40s, realizing that she would never be able to bear children. And for many years, she wrestled with God's will. She wrestled with God's sovereignty in her life. God knew I mean, she knew that God knew the desires of her heart. She knew that God knew how much she wanted to be a mother, how much she wanted to have a family. But God was leading her on a different path. I just want to share her closing reflections because they really touched my heart. They were so courageous and so powerful. This is what she wrote at the end of her article. I grieve the loss of something I've never had, and it's genuine, valid grief. But I don't grieve as one without hope. In fact, through the grieving process, my hope in the promise of the gospel has been refined and expanded. As the expectation of marriage has dimmed, the promise of Jesus as my bridegroom has grown clearer. As the prospect of ever-bearing children has ceased, his promise for the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman. Isaiah 54, one rings truer. I mean, imagine that. What a promise. It seems so obscure to us. But God says, the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman. A promise for a single woman. Like Martha, I had my own ideas of how the desires of my heart would turn out. The God of all goodness had different plans. My longing remains, but because of his faithfulness in the past and present, I know his purposes will be far better than I ever imagined. As I endured night sweats and mood swings, knowing that my fertility was dying within me, I was renewed in hope. In the next life, I'm confident I'll see that my empty ring finger and empty womb will not have been for nothing. It will not have been for nothing. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that everything that you have, that everyone that you have, that all of your good experiences, do you believe that they are gifts from God? That they are a result of his wisdom, his love, and his goodness? Do you believe that? If you do, the inverse is true as well. Everything you don't have, everything you don't have, it's not just an accident. It's a result of God's wisdom and his love and his grace towards you. So how do you grow in this patience? How do you experience this? You see, it's a fruit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's nothing that we just say, okay, if you leave this place and say, I'm going to walk, be more patient. I've been a little mean to my wife. I'm going to talk nice. I've been a little uh, short fused with my kids. I'm going to be nicer to If that's your takeaway, you miss the point. You miss the point. Okay. Patience, godly patience, it's a fruit of the spirit, and that means it's the Holy Spirit doing work and birthing it in you. How do you get it? The answer is this: abide in Christ abide in Christ. You see in John 15, John gives us beautiful illustration, this beautiful metaphor of Jesus as the vine and we are the branches. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, we will not bear any of the fruit of the Spirit. You will not experience true love, true joy, true peace, and you will not become a truly godly, patient person. But if you abide in Christ, if you trust in Him, if you hear His words and obey, and you follow after Him, you will bear much fruit. This is how you experience and grow in patience. Your relationship to Jesus. He's the only way. Brothers and sisters, I just want to give a quick testimony to patience. I, I really was doing an evaluation of my life. I, I, I think everything good in my life is a result of patience. Patience from God, patience from my parents, patience from this church, patience from my wife. Sorry, it should be wife before church. Right? Patience that I've demonstrated. Right? It, it really is. I, I think about my, my parents. You guys know I was suspended from junior high for marijuana? Junior high, right? Some little punk. And I got suspended again in high school for bringing a BB gun to school. And I was going to this expensive private school. My parents wanted to kill me. I got caught doing every possible thing wrong and bad as an adolescent. And my parents never gave up on me. They never stopped praying for me. They never stopped supporting me. They never stopped parenting me in godly patience. They never kicked me out of the house. They never disowned me. I had friends who got kicked out. I had friends who got disowned. I owe so much to my parents for demonstrating patience. When I was in college, I was being mentored by, my past, by, by a pastor, and we were meeting one-on-one, and he was planting a church, and he really poured, I mean, we met one-on-one every Friday, right, to do discipleship together. My junior year, he said, Mike, uh, I'm planting a church. Would you join me? I really believe that you would be a blessing to our church. You know what I said to him? No. No. You know, when people say no to me, do you know what I do? I say, that's cool. I say no to you too. Right? Peace. All right? This is like, you're going to reject me? I reject you too. Let's just go on our own way. He could have done that. Who am I? Some 20-year-old punk to say no to him. Right? You know what he did? He kept discipling me. We kept walking together. In my senior year, I said, Pastor Jimmy, can, can I be your intern? Can I serve with you? He demonstrated patience, and he's one of the main reasons why I'm a pastor here today. Same thing happened here at this church. I had the opportunity to become the lead pastor here, and you know the first thing I said? I said, no, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I'm called to be a lead pastor. I think I want to be an executive pastor, and in that moment, our council, our members, our, I even made a public announcement. Right? People were weeping because they were so disappointed, and they could have been like, Sorry, I don't mean that in an egotistical way. It's just, I love you guys, you guys love me, right? (laughs) And in that moment, the church could have been like, all right, Pastor Mike, or Mike, whatever, "Um, you're going to leave, we're done with you. Next one up, where's D.C., right? (laughs) But this church was so patient towards me. The leadership was patient. A couple months later, I begged our search committee. I was like, can I Can I apply for the position? Can I? They welcomed me with open arms. That's patience. That's grace. Right? My wife and I, we've been married six years now. Uh, we have our first son, he's nine months. We tried a long time to get pregnant. It's a long journey, a lot of heartache. A lot of tears. We could have quit. We could have given up and, like, you know what? Married without kids, such a comfortable life, right? Married people, remember when you were married without kids? You slept well, you ate, you hung out with whoever, whenever you wanted to do, you went on vacation. It was awesome. I could have just opted out for that. We kept trying, we kept hoping, we remained patient, we surrendered it all to the Lord. When we have a beautiful son, right? The journey, though, requires patience. I want to grow as a Christian. I want to grow in your relationships. I want to grow in life. We need patience. Jesus is the way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for your grace. We thank you today, especially, for your long-suffering and patience towards us. We cannot begin to fathom the multitude of offenses, of sins, of expressions of rebellion that we as individuals and we corporately as a world have have committed against you. And we thank you, Lord, that, that though we deserve wrath, you in your kindness, pour over love and grace and goodness. We thank you that you are a God who is slow to anger and abounding in love. Lord, we want to know you. We want to worship this kind of God. We want to commit our life, our trust, and our allegiance to you. You alone are worthy. Father, I pray that as you are patient, you would make us like you. We confess that we have become bitter. We confess that we have become resentful and angry and short-fused. Have mercy on us. Show us more of you. Show us more of your son, Jesus Christ, who endured your wrath so that we could be saved. Thank you, in Jesus' name we pray.